Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be previewing the main slate for college football DFS for week seven. That is this Saturday, October 15th. We are going to be breaking down the games that you want to target and have guys in your lineups for. And we're also going to be breaking down the best plays at quarterback, running back, and wide receiver. Last Saturday was a bit of a say mixed emotions day for me because obviously my horns did not get it done against Oklahoma. But hey, we played probably like a D plus C minus type of game and we're still in position to win in the fourth quarter. So I'm not super duper concerned about Texas. Like just take care of business the rest of the season and we'll get a rematch against Oklahoma in Arlington in the Big 12 title game. And I think that likely that game will come down to a spot in the college football playoff because I think those are two of the four best teams in college football right now. I think it's Georgia, Michigan, Texas, and Oklahoma. Um, I'm not yet a believer in Florida State or um, I think the Pac-12 teams are going to beat up on each other. So we'll just see how the rest of the season goes. But obviously, slight disappointment there for me. However, it was a good day in DFS for me on Saturday because pretty much – uh, everybody who just stacked the LSU-Missouri game, which I talked about on here last week, was able to obtain a lot of fantasy points. You could just very simply go Daniels, um, Brady Cook, Neighbors, and Burden, and your lineup was going to be pretty set from there. And um, it, it was pretty simple. It was a, a very easy game to target. I don't see any games like that this week. So we're going to have to do a little bit of diving. We're going to have to do a little bit of thinking and try to come up with a way that we can find guys to put into our lineups that are going to give us a profitable day in DFS. Now, whether you are long time or new watcher or listener of the show, go ahead and if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. It helps me out a lot. And subscribe to the channel. You'll be notified when all of our weekly golf, college football, and NFL content drops. Um, and if you're listening on audio, you can still subscribe to the feed and rate and review as well. All right, enough with the introduction. Let's go ahead and kick things off by looking at the board and see what games we need to get guys in our lineups for. All right, so looking at the lines on FanDuel Sportsbook, this is not really as appealing of a 12-game slate as we saw last week, in my opinion. There's just not as many games with high totals, and we actually have a lot of projected blowouts. So let's go ahead and break those down first. So the first projected blowout is going to be Syracuse at Florida State. Um, You know, Florida State currently ranked number four in the AP poll. They've been pretty much just rolling through the entire ACC so far. Um, with Clemson really kind of being the only hiccup that they've had, and still they ended up pulling that one out. This one is projected to be 37-19 to 19 in favor of FSU. Um, that is the third highest total on the slate um, of any individual team for FSU. Um, and this game last year was also a blowout. It was 38-3 to 3 in favor of FSU. Um, so Syracuse, like, they might keep this one close, but I don't really have a whole lot of faith in that. I think that 18-point margin is pretty solid. Um, the next one up is Michigan-Indiana. Um, that one is currently with a massive 33.5-point spread, um, and it's projected to be Michigan 40-6 to about. Um, so that is one of the highest totals of the slate for Michigan. Indiana uh, just... Don't, don't target guys from Indiana this week. They're only projected six points. Um, that's pretty much just not going to get it done for you because even if you know you play a guy and he gets that one touchdown, that's not going to win you anything big. So um, just a situation to avoid there. Um, Ohio State-Purdue, I would also classify in the blowout category. Um, that one is currently um, slated to be Ohio State 35-15. to 15. Um, So just another game that really... Um, you know, if Purdue can keep that one close, that that might be a better environment. But um, I, that one, the, the Buckeyes are projected to roll in that one. 
Uh, the next one up is going to be Georgia Vanderbilt. This one, in my opinion, is probably going to be the worst blowout on the slate. Um, Georgia's 31 and a half point favorites. It's projected to be Georgia 43 to 12. Um, the last two meetings have been worse than that. The last two meetings between these two teams have been a combined 117 to nothing. So in the last two games that these guys have played, Georgia's averaging 58 and a half points. Vanderbilt is averaging zero. So um, that's probably going to be the biggest blowout on the slate. Georgia has the highest team total on the slate. Now, there are three what I would consider true shootout games on this slate, which are the games that we like targeting in DFS. Shootout game means that we have a total more than 50, and it means that the spread is projected to be one possession. The first one is going to be Tennessee taking on Texas A&M. Um, Tennessee, not exactly known for their defense. Um, this one has a total of 55 and a half. It's projected to be Tennessee 29 to 26. Um, I would tend to think that this is probably one of the more likely games to shoot out. However, it's also also a very difficult one to target in DFS because it's not super concentrated in terms of the players that are involved. Last week, what made targeting the LSU-Missouri game so easy was the fact that the LSU receiving core was pretty much just neighbors and Thomas, like dominating all the target share. And the Missouri receiving core was pretty much mainly just Luther Burden dominating the target share with a little bit of Theo Weiss and the other guys. So, and even the running backs, there was two workhorse running backs with Logan Diggs and Cody Schrader. So that game became super easy to target because you knew who was going to be scoring all the points and it was a high total. This one has a high total at 55 and a half, but we don't quite know who's going to be scoring all the points in either of these offenses. So while it does appear to be a pretty good one to target, there is a little more unknown in this one. So you're going to be taking on a little more risk if you play guys from this game. Another one that is a pretty good looking shootout right now is going to be Kansas, Oklahoma State. I would tend to believe that Kansas is going to win this one um, more easily than projected. Um, it is currently Kansas with three and a half point favorites. Um, the, so it's projected to be about Kansas 31 to 28. Um, the Oklahoma State offense has been kind of rotating through quarterbacks. It has been Allen Bowman the last few weeks. But if Oklahoma State wants to win this game, they're probably not going to be throwing the ball a whole lot. It's probably going to be run. Same thing with Kansas. So this, you know, this is a pretty high total for two teams that are probably going to be running the football at quite a high rate. Um, the highest game total on the slate though and the marquee game on the slate is going to be Oregon taking on Washington the total is currently at 67 and a half so Washington being two and a half point favorites it's projected to be about Washington 35 to 33 this is the only game on the slate where both teams are projected to score 30 points both of these offenses are pretty good both of these teams want to make a college football playoff run um, so this is going to be a pretty good game it's going to be one that we do like to target in DFS so let's go ahead and transition on over to talking about a position specific plays. So the quarterback position, no surprise, the two top quarterbacks on the slate are both from the Oregon and Washington game. Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix are the top two guys on the slate, and I totally get it. However, they're in a situation right now where it would be legitimately insane in a lineup to play both Penix and Nix and then play both of their number one receivers, Franklin and Odunes. If you were to do that, um, you would have an average remaining salary left of $34.50. And in week seven in the season, there's just not enough like mispriced value plays that can help you out and, and make you feel, have you fill in a lineup with an average remaining salary at $34.50. So while game stacking these guys is an option, you're going to have to find a way to get creative because you're probably only going to want to play one of their number one wide receivers or maybe try to hit one of the receivers further down the board. Anyway, let's go ahead and talk about the two plays. So Penix is currently averaging four fantasy points more per game than Bo Nix. However, he's been a little more volatile this season. He's shown a floor of only 17 
points on DraftKings and a ceiling of 40 points on DraftKings. However, with Penix, what's weird is that you are getting basically zero rushing upside right now. He has not ran the ball for more than two times in a game, and he hasn't eclipsed 11 yards in a game all season, which is weird because I swear when he was at Indiana, he was a really athletic, really mobile quarterback, but I guess that's just not how Washington uses him. So it's he's an interesting play, but you're going to have to get there on the back of his arm. You're pretty much going to have to get 300 yards to get that three-point bonus on DraftKings if you want him to pay off big-time value. The second option in the game is Bo Nix, who is currently $10,000 on DraftKings. He's been a little safer this season. He's had a floor of only 23 fantasy points and a ceiling of 30. And to me, he has a little bit of untapped rushing upside. And I think his ceiling is actually not indicative of what he's done each of the last two years at Oregon. Last year, he was pretty much averaging over 30 fantasy points a game because he was using, he was being used as a runner and he was getting a lot of rushing touchdowns. And so I think that that's a little bit of untapped upside that Bo Nix has. And if he were to hit a massive ceiling game, it would probably be because he runs in one or two touchdowns. And if I were to pick between the two of them right now, my early lean would be Bo Nix um, because I think Bo Nix would be more likely a guy that I don't think you have to play him stacked. And I think if he does end up using his legs a little bit more, that is some upside that you can really tap into and get yourself a big time performance out of Bo Nix. Now, next on the board is going to be Jordan Travis of FSU. So the good news is for us at this point in the season, we have a little bit of a sample size to go off of. And so FSU has won some blowouts here so far in the first half of the season, right? Uh, but Jordan Travis's performance in those blowouts has varied big time. You know, are we going to get the 41 fantasy points that we got when they put up 45 against LSU? Or are we getting the Jordan Travis that scored 17 fantasy points in a 22-point blowout of Virginia Tech? I don't know. But the bottom line is, Jordan Travis is a guy who is projected to play for a team who's you know projected to score for over 35 points. So he's got the upside to be involved in quite a bit of touchdowns. And as long as he's the one involved in the touchdowns and they're not just running the ball in, he's got a lot of upside to have a big-time day. Um, and I think he's in a pretty good spot at a salary of only $9,000, which is a full 1,000 discount from Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix. And with a lot of people clicking up to play Penix Jr. and Bo Nix this week, I think Jordan Travis makes for an interesting little leverage play. Now, Joe Milton of Tennessee is probably going to be a pass for me. Um, I think I would probably only consider playing him if I were playing a Texas A&M Tennessee game stack, which I mentioned earlier is going to be kind of hard to build because of the uncertainty in some of these offenses right now. More on that later. But Joe Milton just has not been a quarterback that's hit supreme value. Um, you know, he's played five games so far this season. He's only hit three times his salary in two of those games where he scored 31 fantasy points. And the way he got there was by scoring... Uh, over 15 fantasy points with his legs in both those games, which is not something that he's done often. In the games where he didn't do anything with his legs, he wasn't that great. He hasn't topped 300 yards in any game. Um, so I just don't really see a way for him to have a big-time game at this salary. It's just not something I'm going to be eager to click on. However, like I said, if I were to create a lineup where I was stacking the Texas A&M Tennessee game, which game stack lineups have been super profitable so far this year when you pick the right games, I think he would be in that, but I don't think he's going to be making my core or making a lot of lineups. Carson Beck is a guy that needs to be considered. Now, he is at $8,700 right now, but the worry when you play a Georgia quarterback would be passing volume and game script, right? So basically, 
are they going to play the whole game and are they going to be throwing the whole game? You know, is it going to be a game where Georgia just hands the ball off 40 times? Well, Carson Beck so far this season has had two games over 30 fantasy points. So he's shown you a little bit of upside, but in every game, even the blowouts, Carson Beck has attempted over 30 passings. So you're looking at a guy that, you know, if he's attempting over 30 passes, he's going to have a chance to score some fantasy points. And he did that last week against Kentucky with throwing for over 300 yards, throwing for four touchdowns, and getting 34 fantasy points. He's a guy that, you know, even though the situation with Georgia is one that doesn't necessarily make sense for fantasy to play a quarterback from Georgia, he's a guy that needs to be paid attention to, and he's always super low-owned. He is in play for me this week at $8,700 on DraftKings. Jalen Milrow is another guy that I really like this week. Um, the Arkansas defense has been pretty porous. Um, they've given up at least 27 points to every Power 5 opponent and 34 points to three out of four Power 5 opponents. And so if Alabama's going to get to 34 points, it's largely going to be because of Jalen Milrow. So one thing I like about Jalen Milrow is that he gives you now rushing and passing upside. You know, early on in the year, he was really doing it all with his legs, and he kind of peaked against Mississippi State where he scored 18 fantasy points solely using his legs, got seven passing points through the, or seven fantasy points through the air, which totaled 25. And last week, he played Texas A&M, and he had negative three fantasy points with his legs. Actually, if you want to count the fumble onto that, really negative five fantasy points with his legs. And he scored 23 points overall. So basically, he scored 28 points with just his arm. So if you're going to get a guy with Jalen Milrow who has the upside to score 18 with his legs and 28 with his arms, that's theoretically an upside of 46 fantasy points, which I know he's probably not going to get that both in the same game. But I like the fact that we're seeing dual threat upside out of Jalen Milrow in a very good matchup against Arkansas. I really do like Jalen Milrow this week. Now, Talia Tagovailoa, a.k.a. Little Tua, um, he's been a guy that DraftKings, I think, is priced up a little bit too much. He's now back in play for me at this price, and the Illinois defense is not very strong. Um, kind of like Carson Beck, you're seeing a lot of volume out of Talia. He's passed for at least 30 passing attempts in every uh, game so far. He's had rushing touchdowns in each of his last three games. I do think there's a little bit of upside for Little Tua this week at only $8,200. J.J. McCarthy is a tough one. I think J.J. McCarthy right now is what people thought Carson Beck was. I hope that made sense. So J.J. McCarthy is not throwing the ball a whole lot. He's maxed out at 25 passing attempts this season, and he's not passing for a whole lot of yards, matching, maxing out at 278 passing attempts this season. And in fact, he has only thrown for three touchdowns in a game once. So you're just not getting a whole lot of upside right now because of how Michigan is just demolishing people. They're pretty much just handing the ball off for three quarters of football. So I think J.J. McCarthy, he's a great player. He's a really good real-life player. But in fantasy right now, I'm just not in at that cost where I just don't think he's got the upside to be involved in a whole lot of touchdowns. Kyle McCord is a guy that I was really high on heading into the season just because of what we've seen out of the Ohio State offense in the past few years. But he's, I don't know, I just don't know if he's ever going to show us the same upside and have the same C.J. Stroud-like numbers that we saw in the last two years in this Ohio State offense. But hey, he's still in a very high-powered offense with a lot of talent around him at only $7,900. So even though his ceiling so far this season has only been 26 fantasy points, Purdue is a team that with their air raid no-huddle system could give Ohio State a little bit more passing volume just in sheer number of plays. And so if, if 
Ohio State gets pushed in this game by Purdue, I could see it being a big Kyle McCord performance. And this is the cheapest he's been all season. So even though I kind of doubt his upside overall, if there were ever a game for him to have a ceiling game, I think it would be this week against Purdue. KJ Jefferson and Garrett Schrader, I'm going to kind of lump in together. Both are primarily rushing quarterbacks who have incredibly high ceilings, but are projected to get blown out this week. And so if you think that either of those games are close, or if you play a game stack lineup, I think KJ Jefferson and Garrett Schrader are both viable. But right now, you're really going to be dependent on their teams actually having a little bit of success if you want them to be good plays this week. Emory Jones of Cincinnati is an intriguing one. He's priced at only $7,300, and he's averaging 27 fantasy points so far this season. But a lot of that is because of the big week one performance he had with 50 against Eastern Kentucky. But Emory Jones is a guy that uses his legs quite a lot. In every game against FBS competition, he's had at least 11 rushing attempts. Um, and he hasn't scored a touchdown on the ground in two weeks. So I think Emory Jones does have a little bit of upside sitting there at only $7,300. I think what a lot of people are probably going to do this week in terms of lineup construction is go up and play Penix Jr. or um, Bo Nix and then back end it with another cheaper quarterback like Emory Jones or like the next guy that I'm going to mention, um, Jason Bean. So last week, Jason Bean was a big-time disappointment if you played him in fantasy for Kansas because basically against UCF, Kansas just decided, hey, we're just going to win this game by running the football. And so Jason Bean only attempted 12 passes, but he's a pretty mobile athletic quarterback and they haven't really used him as such just yet. And so I think Jason Bean does have a little bit of upside in a game that Kansas is projected to score over 30 points. So even though he let you down last week, I think he's a decent play this week, actually. And then as cheap as I'm willing to go, there are two down here, down the board. Luke Altmaier is a guy who is a dual threat, who has shown us a little bit of upside this season. Um, and just, I kind of really like the price tag for him. Like, um, I think there's definitely worse plays in terms of point per dollar basis than Luke Altmaier. This Maryland defense isn't exactly the 85 bears out there. So um, I definitely think that Luke Altmaier could be a decent play at cost. And then the last one is a super cheap Hudson card taking on Ohio State. Look, they priced him down on this like he's playing Michigan instead of Ohio State. Um, you know, he hasn't been super successful so far this season, only averaging 16.7 fantasy points. But hey, that's three times value for his salary. And, you know, a large reason why he hasn't been great lately is just some of the matchups like Wisconsin's a tough defense Iowa's a tough defense and so if you think Purdue can keep this game close you're definitely going to get a lot of passing volume out of Hudson card and there's definitely a chance that he ends up having you know at least a performance that pays off value here this week all right that does it for the quarterback position so let's go ahead and take a quick breather and then let's break down the running backs all right, so if you are sitting there wondering, well, all these quarterback plays that you just listed out are nice, but who's actually going to make your lineup? Or if you're sitting there wondering, hey, it's Wednesday morning right now, how are your thoughts going to change by the time Saturday rolls around? Well, the good news is there are a few more places where you can get more from me. First is you can follow me on X at Mike's Money Picks. I'll gladly answer any questions that you have on there. Um, and also I generally tweet out the rundown for every slate where I highlight some of my favorite plays of each type. Um, and then also um, if there's any injury situations like that to change my opinion, any breaking news like the Tez Walker news last week. I generally tweet about it um, and get my thoughts out there. Uh, I'm also in the Fantasy Corner Discord. Link is in the description on YouTube. Um, there's a lot of smart people in there that play a lot of DFS. You know, we generally talk about every college football slate in there, um, you know, help each other with lineups, ownership, stuff like that. Um, and just a lot of good fun in there. 
with a lot of good guys that know what they're doing. Um, and then lastly, um, I do write full articles about every college football slate, but I don't write for free. Um, so I write a full breakdown where I break down my core ownership strategy for the night, you know, situations that you can take advantage of um, for every slate, including the weeknight slates like we're seeing right now in college football with action happening Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. Um, so you can get those articles on the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. And also if you're looking for some new action this college football season, head on over to signupexpert.com slash Mike's Picks. We are partnering with Signup Expert, and what they do is they get the best offers and promo codes for every DFS, player prop, and sportsbook site out there, and they will sync it to your area. So like if sportsbooks aren't available in your area, it just won't show them. Um, and so you can get those best offers and promo codes for new users, and it shows me some support as well because you're going through my page. Um, so if you're looking to try anything new, maybe underdog, maybe just you know just a new sportsbook, um, then head on over to Signup expert.com slash Mike's picks um, and you can get started on there. All right, so let's go ahead and break down the running back spot. So Blake Corm is the top of the board. No surprise. Um, you know, much like my thoughts on him have been um, from the start of the season, I think he's a great cash game play. I think he's got an incredible floor because this Michigan offense is probably going to give him about um, you know, 15-ish carries, you know, he's probably going to score one or two touchdowns. Um, but the problem is with them just not really being pushed in any of these games, we're not seeing like the big time Blake Corum upside game just yet. And I don't know if it's going to happen against Indiana. If you want it to happen, it's probably going to have to be with him breaking off a long touchdown run, which is something that he hasn't really done a whole lot yet this season. Um, you know, he broke off a 40-yarder against Minnesota, 54-yarder against Bowling Green. But other than that, he hasn't topped 40 yards in a carry. So um, I just think that it's really, really tough to play Corum in a tournament when he's going to eat a lot of that salary and he's going to need to score probably three touchdowns to give you full upside. So as much as he is a great real life player, as much as he's a great cash game play in DFS because of his floor, I struggle to see the tournament upside with Blake Corum this week. Braylon Allen of w Wisconsin is a guy that I was right about last week. So um, last week I got on here and I mentioned that Brayden Allen had been in a committee. What had slipped my mind was that his committee mate, Ches Malusi, had torn his ACL and is out for the season. Now, that didn't change Braywood Allen's usage a whole lot. He only had 21 carries against Rutgers and turned into 21 fantasy points, but he was still splitting carries. If you look all the way down the board at $4,000 on DraftKings, there is a running back who does play for Wisconsin named Jackson Acker, who got 13 carries last week against Rutgers and was also using the passing game and caught two passes. So Jackson Acker is a guy that I think is actually playable at his salary. I don't like the matchup against Iowa, but if Jackson Acker is going to just slot right into the Ches Malusi role, which it kind of seems like he is, then that's a play that has a lot of upside at a salary of only 4,000 where Malusi, you know, back in the season was like six to 7,000. So I definitely like Jackson Acker, but you know, when it comes to Braylon Allen, he's still in a committee. And if I'm paying $8,300 for running back on DraftKings, I want a guy who's not in a committee. Also, I don't like the matchup. Iowa's a really good defense. Like, if, you, if you're not aware, defense is what they do in Iowa. They don't like offense. They do like defense. So I would rather not play a guy going against Iowa who is in a committee at $8,300. That's just my thoughts on Braylon Allen. 
Now, the next guy that I really like is going to be a little further down the board. It's going to be Devin Neal of Kansas, um, $6,700 on DraftKings. He's another guy that's in a committee, but Kansas's run volume with Jason Bean at quarterback has just been so big. I still think there's quite a bit of upside with Devin Neal even being in a committee. Like last week against UCF, he broke off a 75-yard touchdown run, but even without that, he had about 80 yards on the ground without that. Now, teammate... Um, Daniel Highshaw Jr. is also in play for me because he is like the committee mate with Devin Neal. In fact, he actually outcarried Devin Neal last week, but I think that was a little bit due to the nature of, you know, Kansas blowing out UCF by 30 points. And so I think in a closer game environment, which this one is expected to be, I think Devin Neal is the better play. But just know that Daniel Highshaw Jr. is going to get some carries. He is going to be involved. And I think he's kind of an interesting GPP play as well. Roman Hemby of Maryland also piques my interest. Um, you know, he's a guy that at the start of the season when Maryland had easier matchups against Towson, Charlotte, and Virginia was playing really well, was, you know, being used quite a bit, you know, finding the end zone quite a lot. And he has not found the end zone yet in Big Ten play. Well, I think this week would be a good week to do it. Illinois is not a great defense. Specifically, they are not a good run defense. We have seen teams run all over Illinois. So if that happens this week, it's going to be with Roman Hemby. He's pretty much the only back that Maryland uses. Um, and so I definitely think he's in a pretty good spot at a cheaper salary than he's been most of the year. I like to play with Roman Hemby. Another guy that I also like is going to be LaQuint Allen of Syracuse. Um, so basically, running backs against FSU have been not great so far this season, but I don't really think the matchup really matters with LaQuint Allen because he just gets so much volume and he's used so much in both the run and the passing game that even when he doesn't have a good game, like Carolina this past week, you know, he's... Syracuse only scored seven points. He was the one that scored the touchdown, and he had 13.6 fantasy points. So I still think that, you know, even if you think Syracuse gets blown out, even if you don't think this offense has a lot of success, LaQuint Allen is a guy that can still give you consistent fantasy points. And I think if you're playing, you know, an FSU stack where you're playing Jordan Travis and you're playing one of those receivers with him, I would probably prefer on the Syracuse side to, you know, use LaQuint Allen as my bring back as opposed to a quarterback or a wide receiver, just because we know about the consistent volume that he's going to be getting. Now, another guy that I do want to talk about, I accidentally skipped over him. It's going to be Ollie Gordon, the second of Oklahoma State. So, you know, I mentioned longtime listeners of the podcast know that I coach high school football and basketball as well. Um, you know, I, I teach, that's my day job. And so I coach as well. And, you know, putting on my coach hat here just a little bit, if I'm Oklahoma State heading into this game against Kansas, I am going to put the ball in the hands of my most talented player. And knowing that my quarterback position is a little bit of a liability, I am going to run the crap out of Ollie Gordon because I think Kansas is vulnerable on the ground. I think Ollie Gordon is their most talented player. And I just think that if Kansas or if, if Oklahoma State wants to win this game or even wants to push this game, it's going to be because of Ali Gordon. In the last two games, Ali Gordon's averaging about 22 fantasy points per game, averaging about 19 carries per game as well, which is what we really like. I'm surprised he wasn't more expensive on DraftKings this week. So Ali Gordon is a guy that I really like a lot. And I just think he makes sense from a football standpoint as well as a mathematical DFS standpoint. Now, heading down from here, the Tennessee backfield, where you got Wright and Small and Sampson, is just a full-blown 
committee, right? Like you never know how this backfield is going to break. In the last game, it looked like Jalen Wright was going to be the guy. He had 16 carries for 123 yards. But week before that against Texas San Antonio, he only had four carries. Jabari Small has had a 20 combined carries in the last two weeks. And then you're seeing usage out of Dylan Sampson as well, who had nine carries last week and 11 against Texas San Antonio. I just don't know what to make of this backfield. Um, I would just tend to avoid it in my opinion. All three of them are priced over 5,800 hours, which is just not a great situation where if you're in a three-man backfield committee, I would prefer them to be a little bit cheaper. So the Tennessee backfield is a stay away for me this week. Um, however, a backfield that is becoming less and less of a committee is the Texas A&M backfield with Le'Veon Moss. So Le'Veon Moss is averaging 16 carries in his last three games. Um, he's had 15, 17, and 16 pretty consistently. Found the end zone in two of those three games is used a little bit in the passing game. And with Texas A&M now having Max Johnson as their quarterback and not um, Connor Weigman, this is a little bit more of a run-oriented offense. And Tennessee is an offense that you can, or a defense that you can run on. And so I definitely think that Le'Veon Moss is in a pretty good spot for this one. Remember, this Tennessee defense, way back in week three, surrendered 25 fantasy points to Trevor Etienne of Florida. So Le'Veon Moss can definitely do the same. We know that Texas A&M has all the talent in the world up front on that offense offensive line. And so I really think this is a good spot for Le'Veon Moss at a really good price tag at only $5,300. Now, probably the cheapest down the board that I would be willing to go would be Devin Maccabee of Purdue. So early in the season, Maccabee had had fumble issues, which had kind of phased him out a little bit in the backfield. And we saw more Tyrone Tracy for Purdue. But last week against Iowa, um, Tyrone Tracy got hurt. He's currently listed as doubtful for this game. I would tend to think that he doesn't play. Injury reporting in college football is not very reliable, but normally when a guy's doubtful, they end up not playing. Um, so with Maccabee, you know, against Iowa, he had a pretty good game, 21.5 fantasy points, 20 attempts, 89 yards, and a touchdown. And against that Iowa defense, that's pretty good. Now, he still fumbled the football. He's got fumbling issues big time. But if he's going to be the only guy available in the backfield, he's going to have to be used quite a bit. And I don't think that this Ohio State defense is even as tough of a matchup as Iowa was. And also with Maccabee, he's used in the passing game as well. So you got a little bit of upside there with that passing game usage. I think Devin Maccabee is a really sneaky, high upside play. As long as he cannot get himself benched for fumbling, I think he's in a pretty good spot against Ohio State. All right, that does it for the running back position. So let's go ahead and switch gears just a second and talk about some wide receivers. All right, so let's go ahead and take a look at the wide receiver position and sitting at the top of the board, no surprise, is Marvin Harrison Jr. of Ohio State. Now, at this point in the season, we kind of know what we're going to be getting from Marvin Harrison Jr., right? He is a guy that in all the games that he has finished healthy has just been absolutely elite. Like in the three games that he's played a full game and, and finished it healthy, 38, 27, and 33 fantasy points. And this game is, like we talked about already, a good one for potential passing volume for Ohio State with Purdue running an up-tempo, high-passing volume offense themselves. So I think Martin Harrison Jr. this week is a great play. Yes, he's expensive, but I still think he's in play. Ameka Ibuka is the other guy in the Ohio State passing offense that has a lot of upside. Now, he is listed as questionable for this game. Um, he did leave the Maryland game early. 
I don't know what to make of this situation in terms of whether or not he plays, but here's what we know about Igbuka. He has similar upside on a week-in, week-out basis to Marvin Harrison Jr., but he comes in with less consistency of hitting that upside and going to be coming in with less ownership and less salary in a DFS format. So I definitely don't mind Ibuka if he plays. Um, I definitely think he makes for an interesting pivot off of Marvin Harrison Jr., now, if he does not play, to me, Julian Fleming will be the next in line. He's kind of like the next Ohio State receiver coming up. He hasn't really done a whole lot this season, but if is not going to play, all those targets got to go somewhere. And to me, Fleming will be the logical candidate for that. Cade Stover is also the tight end who has been seeing quite a bit of usage lately. Um, scored a touchdown last game. He's been in over 12 fantasy points in all four games that he's caught a pass this season. Um, so he's not a bad value play in my opinion. Now, on the Purdue side of this game, um, to me, there's only one guy that I'm interested in. If I'm stacking this game or if I am using a bring back from Purdue, it would be Deion Burks. Deion Burks is their leader in targets by quite a bit. He also tends to catch deep targets, even though that usage has changed a little bit in Big Ten play as they play tougher defenses. But I would tend to think that he would be the guy that if anybody in this Purdue passing offense has success, it would be Deion Burks. All right, now we got to break down the Oregon and Washington game because there's quite a bit of receivers from this one. And like I said, if you're playing this game and you want to play both quarterbacks, you probably can't play both wide receiver ones. So Oregon specifically does have a few guys I'm interested in. Troy Franklin has been the alpha so far this season, um, caught at least four passes in every game. And, you know, if they weren't blowing everybody out, then it'd probably be more than that. Um, and he also tends to score quite a bit of touchdowns. He's averaging over a touchdown per game. Um, so I just think he's a really solid play. If Bo Nix is able to get there with a lot of passing points with his arm, it's probably going to be because of Troy Franklin. Again, with Bo Nix, he's had that untapped rushing upside though. So I think it's totally fine to play Bo Nix unstacked. I would probably only be playing him with Franklin. Uh, Tez Johnson has been just, you know, kind of consistently okay, but he's at a price tag where I want more than just okay. Um, Gary Bryant Jr. is a guy that has been really inconsistent, really up and down. Um, so I, I don't really know what to make of that. He'd probably be a guy that you can stack with Bo Nix in like a GPP situation. Um, Treshawn Holden um, is kind of trending upwards, but again, not really having any kind of consistency. So just everybody in this passing offense except um, Troy Franklin has just not been a consistent option week in and week out. The other guy that I think from this offense you could target would be the tight end Terrence Ferguson, but he is solely touchdown dependent. And if he doesn't find the end zone, he's probably not going to give you a very good performance. However, he is very, very cheap. On the Washington side of things, they play pretty much three receivers the entire game. And they pretty much throw to these three receivers the entire game. And the first one is Rome O'Dunes. He's a guy that is going to be a first-round pick in next April's draft. Um, has caught at least five passes in every game. Super consistent, true wide receiver one type of player. Jalen McMillan is kind of the complement to that. He's kind of like the Ibuka to Romo Dooms' Marvin Harrison Jr. He's a very solid player, but he's currently listed as questionable. He hasn't played either of Washington's last two games. And so if he doesn't play this one, then we're going to see continued usage out of Jaywin Polk. In, McMill in McMillan's absence, it's early in the morning, y'all. In McMillan's absence, Jaywin Polk has been really good. He had fancy games of 25 and 35 fancy points um, in that you know absence of Jaywin McMillan. So... 
he's a guy that I definitely would target if McMillan is out, and he's a little bit cheaper than Odunz and McMillan. Now, if McMillan misses, the beneficiary would be Jeremy Bernard, um, who had eight for 98 last week against Arizona, or I guess last game against Arizona, and so he would be the guy that would be next in line if um, McMillan were to end up missing time. Now, another team that we got to talk about is Texas A&M. So Evan Stewart is priced all the way up there at $7,100 because at the start of the season, Evan Stewart was being just, he was great, right? But since Max Johnson has taken over, Anias Smith has kind of become the quiet wide receiver one in this offense. He's actually out-targeted Evan Stewart in each of the last two games. He's averaging over five catches a game in his last four, um, double-digit fantasy points in his last four as well. So I think Anaya Smith would actually be the guy that I would be targeting if I were to be playing anybody in this Texas A&M offense. I also do have to mention the tight end Jake Johnson down here at $3,800. His brother is the quarterback. And so with his brother being the quarterback, he's actually scored two touchdowns in the last three games. So um, maybe a little bit of, you know, a little bit of chemistry there for the brothers. And, you know, if at $3,800, if he finds his way to the end zone, that's not going to end up looking like that bad of a play. Now on the Tennessee side of things, Brew McCoy, who is one of their super talented receivers, is out for the season now. Um, and so there's a little bit of a you know mystery for this passing offense. Ramel Keaton is still you know a pretty big part of it. He's kind of the deep threat type of guy, though. He's gonna be really boom or bust, and he really hasn't boomed a whole lot this year for me to be at 6,200 hours. Squirrel White is the guy that was the beneficiary um, of Brew McCoy's injury in um week five against South Carolina. He had nine catches, 104 yards in that game. Um, still yet to score a touchdown this season. So if Squirrel White gets a little bit of touchdown regression, he could end up being a really solid play. Now, the beneficiary of the snaps from Brew McCoy against South Carolina was Jacob Warren, who's only $4,000 on DraftKings. But Dante Thornton is a guy who has been hurt, who they are projected to get back. Um, and he could be a guy that might fill into that Brew McCoy role. So um, I would prefer to see a full game's worth of snaps before I'm willing to confidently project who is going to take kind of Brew McCoy's spot. Um, but right now, to me, I think it's definitely going to be increased target share for Squirrel White. He would be the primary Tennessee receiver that I would be interested in. Now, Florida State has two that I'm interested in. So Florida State's passing offense for us, it is a good thing that it is fairly concentrated between two guys, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Last week, we finally saw Johnny Wilson get in the end zone. I mentioned it on the podcast. He was due for some touchdown regression. I got that one right. I don't bat a thousand, but I got that one right. So Johnny Wilson, is currently listed as questionable for this game. Um, he's been listed as day-to-day -day by Mike Norvell. I have no idea what to make of that. I have no idea if he plays this game or not. But if he does not play, Keon Coleman should absolutely smash because the only thing that's standing in the way of Keon Coleman having a big game is Johnny Wilson because they pretty much compete with each other for all of the targets. So if Wilson is out, Keon Coleman is a very, very easy click. I'm not interested in anybody else um, in this game outside of those two players. Jaheim Bell, the tight end at $4,100, a little bit of a dart throw, but there's another tight end in the same price range that I would rather play that I'm going to get to later. Arkansas and Bama is a game that I actually 
kind of like the target for the receivers for once. The Bama receivers, they're finally playable now that we're seeing sustainable passing volume out of Jalen Milrow. Jaywin, or Jermaine Burton has been the big play guy in this offense. Had a massive game against Texas A&M with almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. I don't think he does that again, but he has shown you the weekly upside now to be priced up where he's at. Isaiah Bond is another big play receiver. Had a 52-yard touchdown against Texas A&M. Um, you know, that was his first big-time game um, since week one against Middle Tennessee State. But I definitely think that, again, the weekly upside is there. If you play Jalen Milrow, you can play him stacked with one of those two guys now. But if I'm being honest, I'm only playing Burton or Bond. I'm not interested in anybody else further down the list. Now, on the Arkansas side of things, you've got their number one wide receiver, um, Anthony Armstrong or Andrew Armstrong, excuse me. And Andrew Armstrong has been pretty consistently good all season long. Never been below 13 fantasy points, never been above 18 fantasy points. It's got cash game play written all over him. And I think he's a pretty solid play um, if you think the Arkansas is able to score some points in this game. And then you have the emergence of Ty Washington though. So freshman tight end Luke has had been tearing it up for Arkansas and he ended up getting injured and he's out for the season. Ty Washington is now the guy in that spot. And boy, did he take advantage of it against Ole Miss. Seven catches, 90 yards, two touchdowns, 28 fantasy points at a salary of only $3,300 last week. Well, now they went ahead and priced him up to $4,300. And he's a guy that at that price and that upside, I really like Ty Washington as a play. If you think that Arkansas can score some points and keep this game close. I tend to think there's a little bit of a blowout chance in this one. But if Arkansas is going to score some points, Armstrong and Washington are guys to look out for. Now, the Illinois-Maryland game would probably be the one that is, like, probably deceivingly stackable, right? Like, you've got really two receivers on each side that now that the season's gone by and we have enough of a sample size, we've got two receivers on each side who are really dominating the targets. For Illinois, it is Isaiah Williams, who is just a target machine. Um, and then Pat Bryant, who's a little bit of a kind of big play guy, um, you know, as opposed to Williams, who's more of the possession route runner type of receiver. So um, those two guys are, you know, pretty much Illinois' only receivers getting any worthwhile usage in the passing game. And then for Maryland, Jay Sean Jones, uh, over the course of long term over the season has been their target leader. Um, he's a guy that you would want to get into your lineups. Um, and then the other guy from Maryland is Caden Prather, the West Virginia transfer. I've said it all along. I think he's the most talented receiver in this room. Um, double digit fantasy points in his last three, um, two touchdowns in his last three games. Um, he's probably the guy in the Maryland offense, the other guy that I would be interested in targeting. Um, Corey Deitches, Maryland's tight end, does see some usage as well, but it's been super inconsistent, and he hasn't really had an upside game since week one. All right, now we can talk about some one-offs, guys that you can play outside of stacks, you know, with um, a game stack or outside of a team stack, right? Like, first off, if you're playing a quarterback, you're playing two quarterbacks, stack them with your wide receivers. Like, just most of the lineups in college football DFS that end up hitting big are stacks with quarterback and wide receivers. So what I'm going to highlight now are guys that are one-offs that I would be willing to play unstacked with, you know, no other pieces from that offense, no quarterback, um, no, you know, game stack type of situation. These are guys that I'd be willing to play as one-offs that I haven't already highlighted. So the first one's Brock Bowers. So Brock Bowers, best tight end in college football, best tight end prospect coming into the draft in a long time. 
and he's averaging over 30 fantasy points in his last three games. There's no reason for me to think that that's not going to continue, especially against the Vanderbilt team that George is probably going to put up 50 points against. If they score six or seven touchdowns, Bowers might end up having two of them, which would be very good for fantasy purposes. Now, Xavier Henderson is really the alpha receiver for Cincinnati, um, just kind of being a really big target monster. Um, and he's a guy that you can get into your lineups. You know, it, I kind of think this game's got a little bit of sneaky upside, um, but he's a guy that I would be willing to play from this game. And on the other side of this game, Jalen Noel of Iowa State is another guy that I would be willing to play. He's kind of taken over the, um, gosh, what was that kid's name? Xavier Hutchinson role from last season, um, where he's you know just kind of getting a lot of targets, double-digit fantasy points in his last four, broke off big-time touchdowns against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So the upside is there for Jalen Noel. Jaden um, Bray of Oklahoma State is another guy that I will be playing a little bit of this week. He is the target leader in this Oklahoma State offense. He's been the target leader for a few weeks now. He's just not scoring touchdowns hasn't scored all year. 21 catches, no touchdowns. So if he is going to find the end zone, he's a touchdown regression candidate to me. Um, if he's going to find the end zone, he is going to pay off value for you. And then the last guy that I'm going to talk about is Eric All of Iowa. And he is seeing pretty much all of the targets for this Iowa passing offense. So y'all see what I did there? Yeah, I am all in on Eric All this week. So Eric All priced at only $4,300. Um, you know, just five catches, 97 yards, a touchdown against Purdue on 11 total targets. Iowa did not complete a pass to a wide receiver in that game. Eric All is the tight end and he is getting all of the work. And so he is going to be in not quite all of my lineups, but I'm definitely all in and buying Eric All this week. Okay. I think I said the word all enough times. I, I kind of ran that bit into the ground. All right. So that does it for the wide receiver position this week. Um, remember, if you want more from me, follow me on X at Mike's Money Picks. Um, join the Fantasy Corner Discord, full articles on the Patreon. Um, but that's pretty much all we got for this week, y'all. Um, if you made it this far, hopefully gave you guys some information that is going to help you win in DFS this week. Um, go ahead and hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you like what you saw. Um, and best of luck to everybody this week. Um, hit that subscribe button. You'll be notified when all of our golf, college football, and NFL content drops. Um, but yeah, best of luck to you. Thank you guys for watching and listening, and I will see you next time.